The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Here today, Romans chapter number one. Good to have each and every one of you in church. And I hope that uh, in light of all the things we could be doing, that uh, your heart really desires to be with God's people and in his word. And so I'm just proud of each and every one of you uh, for making this time a real priority in your weekly schedule. How many of you have enjoyed the weather this week? Man, it hasn't just been gorgeous. This is, this is awesome. Uh, the, these are the weeks where I'm like, I enjoy being in Fresno. Not too hot, not too cold, just perfect. It's been beautiful. And I hope you've been enjoying yourself as well. In this series, we are currently kind of wrestling through this idea of change and how change actually happens. We've entitled the series, Help, I Need to Change. And I think if we were to be honest one with another, all of us have areas of our lives where we would like to see change occur. And maybe for some of us, it's in our fitness Maybe our health, our spiritual walk, and our family, our relationships. And, and I think the reality is all of us uh, have had seasons in our lives where we've wanted to change something. But then the question is asked, how does that change actually occur? And if you polled a room this size, you would get a whole lot of different answers on to how change actually happens. And, and so throughout this series, we're really just going to the Word of God and we're asking ourselves, what does the Bible teach us about how change actually occurs? And so today we'll be in the first chapter of Romans, Romans chapter number one. Uh, just to read recap for a few of you who may have not been here the last few weeks. We've spent the last few weeks looking at some common misconceptions that people have about change. And, and we talked about the fact two weeks ago that lasting change is not just a result of what we know. Uh, there is this thinking in church world that knowledge is equal to change, that what we know is equal to our spiritual maturity. And we spent a whole week talking about how lasting change is not just a result of what we know, it's more than that. Uh, then last week we took uh, some time looking at the, the fact that lasting change is not even a result of just what we do, that literally lasting change is more than just our behavior, it's, it's more than just how we perform. And, and so this week we're going to really start diving into what does the Bible say about change? How does change actually happen? And what we're going to find out it, it is, is this. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is what ultimately changes our lives from the inside out. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes us from the inside out. So let me give you a definition for the gospel and then we'll dive into our message here this morning. The gospel simply put, all right, for, for those of you who have been in church world for a long time, um, maybe we can tend to think of the gospel as just the message by which we receive in order to gain eternal life. And so we kind of compartmentalize the gospel and we put it in this one little box. But really in its truest definition, the gospel is the good news of Jesus. It is, it is the good news that God came in the flesh. It is the good news that he died on our behalf. And that three days later he rose from the dead, proving he was God, proving he had power over death, proving he he had the power to give us abundant life here on earth and eternal life in heaven. That is the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. And that gospel is just as important to us as believers as it was to us before we came to know Jesus as our Savior. And that's what we're going to unpack 
here today. So we're going to start in Romans chapter number 1. If you received a service program on your way in, there should be a little outline inside for you to follow along through our Bible study. If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you here to stand as we read our text. We're going to read verse number 7. I'll make some comments and then we'll move on to verse number 15. Romans chapter number 1 starts with an introduction or a greeting. And for about seven or eight verses, uh, we just see Paul giving a greeting to the church at Rome. And so, in verse number 7, we find out exactly who Paul is writing to. Notice what it says. Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. To all that be in Rome. So Paul is saying, "I, I am writing to you that are in Rome, those of you who are beloved of God... Called to be saints. So he's writing to the church. He's writing to saints. We would say it this way. Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to the believers. And he goes on to say, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I need you to get this. This letter is being written to the church at Rome. It's being written to believers. It's being written to Christians. Alright? That is who Paul is addressing this letter to. Now, notice verse 15. This is very interesting. The Bible says, so as much as in me is. He's saying with all of my heart, this is what I want to do. I am ready To preach the gospel, notice the next two words, to you. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you. And I want you to see that little phrase, to you. Who is he preaching the gospel to? He's preaching this to those saints. He's preaching it to those who are saved. And so what we're going to focus on here a little bit today is the fact that the gospel is for believers too. The gospel is for believers too. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll dive into our Bible study. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us to truly understand that While we are so thankful and grateful for the gospel and how the gospel was used in our salvation, that those of us who are believers here today would truly understand the role that the gospel plays in our spiritual maturity. And I pray that you would bless us, help us to truly understand that it is, Lord, the gospel that doesn't just save us, But it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that sanctifies us, that spiritually matures us. And I I pray that you would show us how the gospel does that here, even today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. According to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, the Bible says that they which proclaim the gospel, they which preach the gospel, should also live by the gospel. So those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those of us who believe the gospel, we need to live by the gospel, live of the gospel as well. You see, the gospel is more than just a one-time decision to put our faith in. And that is a big part of it. So we can be saved, so we can come to have eternal life. But what we're going to see today is is that the gospel is more than just a one-time decision. It is literally a lifestyle by which believers grow in grace. That the gospel is just as important to us today as it was on the day we accepted Christ. The gospel is not just important to our salvation. While it is important and it plays a huge role in our justification, in our salvation, it also plays a vital role in our growth and everyday life as Christians. 
God's plan is not to steer individuals beyond the gospel, but rather deeper into the gospel. The person of the gospel, that is Jesus, and the pattern of the gospel, which is what we're going to see in just a moment, is something that we need to continually be wrestling with, not just in salvation, but every day of our lives. That we need to see the gospel pushed into our parenting, and we need to see the gospel pushed into our relationships, and we need to see the gospel pushed into our conflicts and how does the gospel how does it influence our everyday lives that's that's really the question we're going to talk about it today one author put it this way the gospel is not simply the abc's of christianity it's much more than that but rather it is the a to z of christianity so this morning we're going to look at the topic the gospel is for christians too The gospel is for Christians too. So the first point, if you're taking notes there in your Bible study guide, I want you to see that the gospel is for salvation. The gospel is for salvation. And for those of you who have grown up in church or you've been in church for any length of time, this is not a surprise to you. You understand that the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of God coming to this earth in the form of a man, the good news that Jesus died in our place, the good news that he rose from the dead, we understand that that gospel, that good news is what secured for us our salvation. It's what secured for us eternal life and abundance abundant life here on earth. And so we see the gospel is for salvation. Ephesians chapter number 2 verse 8 says it this way. For by grace are you saved through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. If you're used to maybe writing in your Bible or maybe just in your notes, I want you to circle those two words, grace and faith. Grace and faith. Those two words give us the pattern of what the gospel in its essence truly is and how the gospel can affect not just our salvation, but how it affects so much more than just our salvation. Oh, for by grace are you saved through faith. I'm going to say this. If you're here today and you do not have a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ... You've never accepted, you've never, you've never uh, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I would hope that today would be the day of your salvation where you would put your faith in the fact that God came to this earth literally in the form of man, lived a perfectly sinless life, went to the cross, died to take your penalty upon himself, literally took the consequences of your sin, the consequences that your sin deserved, and he literally took and paid the price of that punishment. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, proving he was God, proving he had power over death, proving he had what it took to take you to heaven. Because that is the glorious message of the gospel. That's his grace. That's what grace is all about. That's what he's given to you. But how do we get that grace? Through faith. When we simply believe and we affirm with our heart and our soul that what God says, what he promised was true. And we affirm that. We believe that. That is how we accept. That's how we receive the gospel. That, the gospel of grace. For by grace, what God did for us, are we saved through faith. God provides the grace. We then accept it by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Now, I don't think this needs to be said, but in your notes you'll see good works are not a means to salvation. Good works don't get us saved. 
They are simply the marks of salvation. There is nothing you and I can do to get saved on our own. We can't work our way to salvation. We can't earn the gospel. It is a gift of God, Ephesians 2 tells us. It's not of works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to His mercy we're saved. So salvation, God's grace, is given to us and we receive it, we accept it by Faith, all right? Good works are not a means to salvation. They are simply marks of salvation. You say, what do you mean by that second part? What I mean is somebody who is authentically saved is, be- is going to begin to show fruit of good works. That is, it's, it's, the, it's the marks. It's, it's the proof of somebody who has Christ in them. Because when Christ truly resides in somebody's heart, over time, His grace is going to do something in their life and there will be marks, there will be evidences, there will be fruit, there will be results of Christ living inside of you. So good works are not the means, they're not how we get saved, they're simply the marks of what happens when we are saved. You see the difference between the two. If you get the cart before the horse, we're going to be really messed up theologically. And so it's important to understand that the gospel is for salvation. But I want you to notice secondly today, Not only is the gospel for salvation, but secondly, the gospel is also for the saved. And this is where a lot of church people get off. They say, oh, I know I needed the gospel of grace before I was saved. I needed that grace. I needed the gospel. I needed what Jesus did in coming and dying and raising from the... I needed that to get my ticket to heaven. But then when they are saved, they become a Christian, they put their faith and trust in Jesus, then they revert over to a, I got to now perform this Christian life. And yet what I want to remind you today is this, it is the gospel of grace. It is not just what gets us to heaven. It is also the pattern by which our lifestyle matures in Christ. And so that's what we're going to unpack here for a few moments. Just like we saw in Romans chapter number one, where it said here, Paul stands up and says, I want to preach to you the gospel. Why was Paul wanting to preach the gospel to those who are already saved? Think about it. If they were already saved, if they were already on their way to heaven, if they've already put their faith and trust in Christ, why did Paul want to come and preach the gospel to them? Because Paul recognized that the gospel was not just our ticket to heaven. It was not just a one-time thing that gets us saved. The gospel was also a lifestyle. The gospel is the pattern that Jesus gave us so by we could mature as believers. One of the reasons why people in churches today do not mature is because they think they are saved by the gospel of grace and that they mature by the gospel of works and behavioral modification and just kind of treadmill type of Christianity. And what I want to show you today is the same way you got saved by His grace, what He did for you through faith is the exact same way you grow as a parent. That is the same way you're going to grow as a spouse. It is the same way that you're going to grow in your relationships. It's the same way you're going to handle your conflict with people that you don't get along with. It is the gospel of grace. It is a lifestyle of grace that gives us liberty and gives us strength to honestly be able to change. Here's what Colossians 2 verse 6 says. So Paul is now preaching to the church at Colossae and he says, As you therefore received Christ, as you therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. Notice this. Okay, let's pause it. We'll get back to it in a moment. How did the church at Colossae receive Jesus Christ the Lord? How did they accept Him? How did they put their faith and trust in Him? It was by grace through what? Faith. 
by grace through faith. That's how they receive Christ Jesus. Did they work for Jesus to get him? Did they have to perform? Did they have to, you know, do behavioral modification? No. Did they have to, was it moral improvement that got them Jesus Christ? No. What is it? It was just grace, what God did for them, and they accepted it by faith. So Paul is now preaching to the church at Colossae, and he's saying, As ye therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. What he's saying is the same way you got saved, by grace through faith, is the same way you live your Christian life. It's the same way. It's not like we get saved and get Jesus by putting our faith and trust in the gospel of grace and then all of a sudden we, we, our lifestyle is one of behavioral modification and lifestyle, you know, moral improvements and just kind of, you know, working our way to a better life. That's not how you create lasting change in your marriage. That's not how you create lasting change in your parenting. That's not how you create lasting change in, in your developing relationships with one another. The way you change is the same way you got saved. Recognizing, acknowledging God's grace and then just by faith accepting that reality as being true. It's as simple as that. And so what Paul is trying to teach these churches at Rome and what God is trying to teach the church at Colossae and what God is trying to teach these churches is you've got it wrong. That's why last week in Galatians where it said, who's bewitched you? Who's fooled you into thinking that you started this thing by grace through faith and now the lifestyle is one of behavioral modification and moral improvement and if I just try hard enough, I can make this thing happen. And Paul is saying again and again and again to all these different churches, no, it's not how you change. It doesn't create lasting change. Lasting change is not just about what you know. You can be the smartest theologian in this room and not see real heart change take place. It's not even just about what you do. Because as we saw last week, you can dot your I's, cross your T's, walk the walk, talk the talk. You can do everything on the outward perfect. And the Bible says you still, cannot, you, you still might not see lasting change. Because change starts on the inside. It starts on the heart. And it is the gospel of grace that changes the heart from the inside that then blossoms into change on the outside. See, the gospel is also for the saved. We say it this way. The gospel of grace is just as important to Christian growth as it is to becoming a Christian. The gospel of grace is just as important to Christian growth as it is to becoming a Christian. That's why Apostle, the Apostle Paul said, I want to preach to you the gospel. I know you're already saved. I know you're already a believer. I know you're already a Christian, but I'm going to preach the gospel to you because the gospel doesn't just give you salvation. The gospel also sanctifies you. The gospel also spiritually matures you. It is the gospel that also changes you into walking in newness of life. I'll say it this way. We don't get saved one way by grace through faith and then mature another way through self-discipline and character and just pulling myself up by my bootstraps and, and I can do this thing. And some of you who are more talented and you have more character and you have more discipline, it's easier for you to live a lifestyle of behavioral modification because you just, maybe, maybe your parents when you were two and three years old taught you a little bit about character and discipline. And so it's easy for you to climb the ladder of kind of moral improvement because you've been, like since you were like one, you've gotten that. But God's plan is much different. 
God says lasting change that starts in the heart is a work of grace. God changing you on the inside through the gospel, manifesting itself in your outward behavior. So notice the gospel is for the saved too. If we're not careful, it is easy to view the gospel as simply a product that gets us to heaven rather than recognizing that it is also provides a pattern by which we are to live our Christian lives on a daily basis. The pattern of the gospel being by grace through faith. This is how God wants you to mature as a believer. By grace through faith. Not through moral improvement. Not through behavioral modification. He wants you to start with your heart. Will it produce behavior change? Yes! Will it change your, your, your morals? Yes, it will. But if you start with the behavior, it won't last. If you start with the outside, it won't last. And so the gospel of Jesus' grace always starts with the heart. Just like for salvation. Think about this. Good works are not... Just like in salvation, good works don't get us saved. In much the same way for sanctification and spiritual maturity, good works don't make us spiritually mature. Can I say this? There are some people in this room possibly, and I at times, have performed good works, but no more spiritually mature when those good works are done. Because good works are not a means to spiritual immaturity. They are simply marks of spiritual maturity. When, when we do allow God's grace to change our heart, there are marks of those good works in our fruit. But those good works by themselves, just conjuring them up like we talked about last week, don't make you spiritually mature. Uh, let's kind of dive into this. So it says here in this passage, As ye therefore receive Christ, so walk ye in them. So naturally for most of us, walking involves taking a step with our right foot, and a step with our left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. Now think of this. I'm going to use this as an illustration. Think of this as grace and faith. Walking. I'm using it as a metaphor, as an illustration. So, I got saved by acknowledging His grace. God did this for me. He sent His Son to this earth to die on the cross and rose from the dead three days later. I acknowledge His grace and then I accept its reality by faith. That's how we got saved. Grace, I took a step, and then faith. I accepted that reality by faith. Now here, as you're going to grow in your Christian life, here's how you're going to do it. I got an issue in my marriage. You can either like, well, I'm just going to kind of barrel through this thing. I buy my character, my discipline. I'm just going to make it happen. I'm going to read some books and I'm going to do everything it says to do and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll perform it. I'll change my behavior. I'll morally improve. I'll become a better spouse. That's one way to go at it. It's not the biblical way. The Bible says, as you receive Christ, that's how you're supposed to walk. So what do I do? I acknowledge His grace with one foot. We're going to walk in this thing. God... I realize you have given me everything I need for life and godliness. That's what the Bible says. I, I acknowledge that grace. I acknowledge that gift as being real and as being true. And so it doesn't start with your performance. It doesn't start with your behavior. It always starts with what God has done. God, I acknowledge that to be true. I acknowledge your grace. I acknowledge your strength. I acknowledge your power. That's what I'm doing. I, I need strength. I need help in my marriage. But I don't start with me. I don't start with my spouse. I start with God. 
I acknowledge his grace. God, in my flesh, I would, I would fail miserably at this thing. I'd fall on my face, and if I did succeed, I'd succeed even more miserably. I'd become arrogant and proud, and I'd become superior and critical and judgmental. So I realize on my own, I'm either going to fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. And so it starts with you. God, by your grace, I recognize. I acknowledge that your grace is sufficient for me. I acknowledge that you've given me everything I need for life and God godliness. That's the first step. I acknowledge his grace. I acknowledge his strength and then with the other foot I accept that reality by faith I believe that that is what ultimately changes my life God I acknowledge what you say and I accept that reality by faith and then I acknowledge something else that you say and then I accept that by faith I acknowledge another thing you say and I accept that by faith I acknowledge and I accept and I acknowledge and I accept grace and faith grace and faith grace and faith no longer is it a system of moral improvement or behavioral modification it is allowing the gospel of grace it's allowing the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform your heart from the inside out his grace transforming your values God, I believe what your word says is true. Your grace, trans His grace transforming your desires. His grace transforming your identity. His grace transforming your thinking. His grace transforming the innermost parts of your life. You acknowledge what His grace has done for you. What He has promised you. And then you accept those realities by faith. You believe them to be true. See, the gospel is also for the saved. The gospel of Christianity isn't a works-based religion of moral improvement. I hope you understand what that just said. The gospel of Christianity isn't a works-based religion of moral improvement and behavioral modification. Now, will authentic Christianity produce moral improvement? Yes. Will it produce behavioral modification? Yes. But if that's what you focus on, you will fall flat on your face every single time. If you focus on what you've got to do and what you've got to accomplish, and what, it doesn't start with you. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about His grace. It's about His gospel and recognizing, acknowledging that what His grace does, He's done for you. It always starts with God acknowledging and accepting by faith those realities. So we see here, we see that the gospel is for salvation. It's what gets us saved. However, it's more than that. The gospel is also for the saved. The Apostle Paul says this over and over and over again. The person of the gospel, Jesus, is also for the saved. It's for your spiritual maturity. The pattern of the gospel, by His grace, my faith, is the process, the pattern of the gospel, which leads us to our last and final point here this morning. Thirdly, the gospel is for spiritual maturity. The gospel is for spiritual maturity. It's for salvation. It's for the saved. But thirdly, the gospel is for spiritual maturity. Let's, let's unpack this. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 verse 30. I'm going I'm to read this. But of him ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Notice these two words. Who God has made unto us. He's made for us righteousness. Can I say this? Jesus is your righteousness. Let that sink in for a moment. He is your righteousness. Your righteousness is not your performance. Your righteousness is not your behavior. Jesus is your righteousness. He's your righteousness. Notice this. And sanctification. 
Sanctification is your spiritual maturity, the process by which you grow into the image of Christ. This verse is saying, and uh, here Paul is trying to help the church at Corinthians in Corinth. They, they thought they could manufacture this thing. They thought they could behave their way into spiritual maturity. And so the Apostle Paul is trying to help them understand, no, Jesus is your righteousness, not your behaviors, not your morals, not your performance. Jesus is your righteousness. He, his imputed righteousness onto you. Why? Because his grace gave it to you and by faith we accepted it. He is your righteousness. He is also your spiritual maturity. Okay, in other words, I'm going to put it this way. Because of God, let me have this on the screen. Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. And Christ became for us wisdom righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So the next verse goes on to say, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You say, what are you, what are you, trying, to, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say this. Christ is your sanctification. Some of you are trying to perform your way into spiritual maturity. You're, you're reading all these books. And, and I, I'm not trying to overemphasize something. I do believe there's a place for reading good books. And, and don't take this to an extreme that I'm not trying to take it. But if you focus first and foremost about your performance and your behavior, you're going to miss lasting change every, every single time. Change ultimately doesn't start with you. Just like salvation didn't start with you. Salvation started with Jesus. Your sanctification starts with Jesus. And if you start it with how I'm going to behave toward this person, how I'm going to act toward this person, you're going to get off every time. You're going to get frustrated in your change. You're going to get uh, just overwhelmed in your change. Why? Because, because of Christ Jesus, Christ became for us righteousness and sanctification. I want, you to, I want you to get this. Jesus is your change. Just like he is your righteousness, he is your change. So why do you keep trying to change in your own strength? What if I know there's something God wants me to do? The Bible says that I know his, his Spirit's leading me to do it. However, I don't feel like doing it. You just told us in this message, if I don't feel like doing it, and I don't want to do it, but I do it in my own flesh, then I'm in sin too. <laughs> Pastor, you, you kind of got me pigeonholed a little bit because if I don't do it, I'm in sin. And if I do do it, in the flesh, I'm in sin. Like, what's my hope? What do we do when the Bible says be generous? Well, if we don't be generous, we're living in sin. And if we're just kind of like, well, I, know I don't want to be generous. But I'm going to do it. Because that's what, that's what we're supposed to do. And I do it in my flesh. I do it in my own strength. What we learned last week, that's sin too. It's counterproductive. It's pointless. Or... What about in loving our enemies? The Bible says we're supposed to love our enemies. If I don't do it, that's wrong. It's going to be unhealthy. But if I don't feel like doing it, but I just make myself do it because that's what good Christians do, I'm also in sin because it's flesh and it's in my own strength. Pastor, what do I do? Pastor, I know I'm supposed to love my spouse and sacrifice for my spouse. I know what the Bible says. If I don't do it, I know that's, that's wrong. It's unhealthy. It's sin. But if I don't feel like doing it and I do it just out of character, just out of duty, just because I'm supposed to do it, that's how a lot of us live. You told me last week that's sin too. The Bible says we're supposed to serve one another, help one another. If I don't do it, 
It's unhealthy. It's sin. I know that. The Bible says too. My, the Spirit of God leads me to do that, but oftentimes I don't. And so when I do, I come to church and I serve out of guilt. And I, 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 I love my spouse out of just like duty. I don't feel like doing it. But after all, that's what good Christians do. So I've been doing it. And then last week you come along and tell me that was sin. And I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> and so half of us walked out of here like, I either get to choose not doing it and, and, and I begin to live unrighteously. Or I do it in my own strength even though I don't feel like doing it. And I become self-righteous. Or, or, or in being self-righteous, sometimes we do want to do it. But the reason we want to do it <laughs> is out of some ulterior motive. If I do this for my spouse, she'll do this for me. It's not really for the glory of Christ. It's kind of like a, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And it's just kind of like one of these type of deals. And it's not that we're being self-righteous because we don't want to do it. But we want something out of it more than just the glory of Christ. We're doing it more than just loving him. We're doing it out of selfish motive. And the Bible would also declare that to be self-righteousness. If that's your primary motivation. So like, we got to the end of last week's sermon... And you're like, basically, I bounce between living unrighteously and self-righteously. And then I'm like, no, self-righteous isn't right. But then when I don't do, then I'm unrighteous. And do you see the tension that was being built? What do I do when I know God wants me to do something? The Bible says, and the Spirit's leading me to do it. But I don't want to do it. And if I do do it, even though I don't want to, or because of some ulterior motive, or out of some sense of identity, then you're saying I become self-righteous, and that's sin too. What do I do? That is why you need Jesus to change your heart. You see, we need Jesus. We need, we need to go to God and we need to say, God, I don't, my heart doesn't want to do this. My heart doesn't want to love people. And when I try, I fail, God. And even when I succeed at doing this in the flesh. I get proud and judgmental and critical. I get a superiority complex. And even when I succeed, I succeed more miserably in my self-righteousness. And I say to you, that's why you need Jesus. Because Jesus can change your heart. Jesus can make you want to do what your flesh doesn't want to do. The gospel of grace, Jesus' grace, can strip away your ulterior motives and his spirit can drive you to obey, not because of what you're going to get out of it, but to simply glorify his wonderful name. He can give you right motives. Rather than bouncing between unrighteous sin and self-righteous doing it in my own strength. God says, no, it's not that way. It's not that way. Jesus says, you need me to change your heart. And so next time you don't feel like doing something, don't just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm going to say, go to the throne of grace and say, God, this is why I so desperately need you to change my heart. God, I don't want to love that enemy. I hate them. I don't love them. And if I try to love them, it'll just come across fake and hypocritical. I'm not going to live like that. And that's why you need to go to Jesus. Say, Joe, Jesus. Change my heart. 
Help me to love that person that I would never love in my own strength. You can't perform your way into that heart change. Only the gospel of grace, only Jesus can do that. In our parenting, this is what we need, Jesus. Jesus can give you the right motives. Jesus can help you parent your children with proper values and proper worldview and proper motives with proper desires because Jesus actually can change your heart. But just bouncing between unrighteousness and self-righteousness is never the answer. So how do we do this? Philippians chapter number 2 says this, For it is God that works in you. This is a great passage. It is God that works in you, not around. He works in you first, both to, here's what the Bible says, will and to do of his good pleasure. What the Bible is teaching there, it it is actually Jesus that changes our desires. It is Jesus that gives us both the desire and the ability to do of his good pleasure. And so if we're going to walk by the gospel then what we do is we simply say, God, your grace promises that you can change my desires. I'm addicted to this thing. I know it's unhealthy. I know it's not right. I could try to manufacture, you know, getting off this for a while, but in my flesh after a couple weeks I'll fall flat on my face. That's why you need Jesus to change a part of you that you've never been able to change on your own. And to go to him and say, God, your grace promises that you're the one who changes the heart. You're the one who gives new desires. By grace, you say that. Acknowledge his grace. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 17 says it this way. You now therefore are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The gospel of grace says you are not who you used to be. The social mirror tells you you are something. Your past experiences tell you you are something. People around you, they tell you this is who you are. And the Bible says, don't believe them. You are not who the social mirror says you are. You are not what your past tells you you are. You are not what people around you tell you you are. In essence, you are who God declares you to be. And that is a new creature. That is who you are. Now, sometimes I don't live like that new creature. And sometimes you don't live like that new creature. But that is who you are. Because Christ is your righteousness. And Christ is your sanctification. And based on the authority of the word of God, that is who you are. You are not an addict. You are not a cheat. You are not a gossip. You are not a complainer. You are not a lousy mom or a lousy dad. In Christ, your position is righteous. That's who God declares you to be. Acknowledge that. And then accept it by faith. God, you say to love your enemies. Whenever I tried to do it in my own strength, even though I didn't want to, I did a, I just, I fell flat on my face. And God says, guess what? You're a new creature. You love your enemies, whether your emotions tell you you do or don't. 
Can I say this again? With Christ in you, if you are truly born again, you actually do love your enemies. Your emotions are just lying to you. I don't think we're getting this. You love your enemies because of Christ in you. Your emotions lie to you. You are a new creature. You are not your past. I don't feel like being generous. I know what the Bible says. Guess what? You're a new, de- your new identity. You are generous. That's who you are. The Bible declares it. You are a new creature. Your emotions might tell you you're materialistic. And you might act in light of what the social mirror tells you you are. In light of who your friends tell you you are. In light of what the world tells you you are. But if you are truly in Christ. If you have been truly born again. Then you are a generous individual. That is who you are. Acknowledge that. Acknowledge the grace. Acknowledge what he says you to be. Acknowledge that new identity. Acknowledge the those new values, acknowledge those new desires that God is in. He is your righteousness. He is your sanctification. Acknowledge that to be so. And then by faith, accept it and live in light of that new reality. The gospel, the same way you got saved. His grace, you acknowledged what his grace did. Jesus, God sent Jesus to this earth, die on the cross, morning. And by faith, you accepted that. Can I say this? Your spiritual maturity gets no more complicated than that. And when you're having a hard time loving your spouse, and when you're having a hard time getting along with somebody at work or in this church building, and you don't like something that that person's doing or this person's doing, you just need to remind yourself of who God declares you to be. The social mirror tells you you're a quitter. People around you tell you you're good for nothing. And you may be acting like that, but it's not who you are. God has made you a new creature. Second Peter chapter 1 says this. According to his divine power. Now, I'm not going to get into a whole message about how powerful God is, but we get the point, right? According to his divine power, God hath given us all things. He's already given. This is past tense. He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Here's what the Bible declares. You've already got inside of you, because of Jesus, everything you need for the rest of your life and everything you need to live, act out godliness through you. In your parenting, in your marriage, in your interpersonal relationships, in your relationship with your church, everything that you need is already in you because of Jesus. If you've truly accepted Him as your Savior... This is why Hebrews 12 makes the statement that Jesus, he is both the author of your faith. He started this thing at salvation. But this is why the Bible says he's also the finisher of it. He's the completer of it. He's the one, he didn't just start this thing at salvation. He wants to live his life through you every single minute. He wants to be the perfecter of your life. That is when you struggle to be what Christ wants you to be. Acknowledge the grace that is in you because of Jesus. And then accept it by faith. Acknowledge, accept, acknowledge, accept, acknowledge, accept. That should be the way the Christian lives their life. Getting in the word, God, what do you say? And by faith, accepting it, acknowledging. It all starts with God. It doesn't start with your little self-help book. Now, will the Spirit of God use a self-help book? Yeah, God will use about anything. 
But it starts with God's promises. It starts with the gospel of his grace. Acknowledging it with one step. Accepting that reality by faith with the other. It is God. Because God can only, God's the only one who can change your heart. Some of you here, you don't love your spouse. You have fallen out of love. And you need Jesus to change your heart. Some of you, you don't want to get along with the coworker or that person on the other side of the church building. And I'm going to say this, Jesus can change your heart. Well, when that person changes, then I'll change. No, you don't need circumstances to change. You need your heart to change. You see, the gospel is for Christians too. It's not just like, by grace through faith, so I can be justified. That's powerful, awesome. But you need that grace through faith. That's just as important to your spiritual maturity. That's just important to your change. Hey, I need to change. This is how you change Jesus. Jesus is your ultimate hope. Not Oprah. Not Dr. Phil. Not Tony Robbins. Jesus. Jesus is your hope. His promises, His Word, His Spirit changing you from the inside out. Acknowledge His grace. Acknowledge what He says. That's why you need to be in the Word. Why? So you can check it off your little checklist and walk around like a little, you know, perfect little Christian. I did everything. No, because you need to be reminded of what His grace actually gives to you. You need His grace, acknowledging His grace and accepting it by faith. You see, your emotions might be telling you one thing. Don't believe your emotions. Stop believing your emotions. Emotions are a wonderful thing. But when they lie to you, reject them. When your emotions tell you something that goes contrary to this book, put your emotions in their place. Cast them down when they deny and they tell you something that does not align with the great and precious promises of Jesus Christ. Let him be true and everything else a liar. He is truth. You see, when you allow this process, the person of Jesus and the pattern of the gospel, not just to be how you got to heaven, but when you start, when you start allowing Romans 12 verse 1, allowing this to transform your mind and your thinking, you start getting to the heart of things. All of a sudden when you have issues in your life, you're not just trying to change your circumstances. This is where a lot of us go. Something bad happens, I gotta change my circumstance. Something bad happened, I gotta change my job. Something bad happened, I gotta change my spouse. Something bad happened, I gotta change this person. Something bad, I gotta change this situation. See, when we got a gospel perspective, it always starts with wait a second, God needs to change me first. I'm gonna get the beam out of my own eye before I try to pull out little splinters out of everybody else's eye. And the only thing that can change the heart is Jesus. Only his grace appropriated those realities by faith will ultimately change you from the inside out. And can I say this? When Jesus starts to change you, it's incredible. Because when Jesus changed you, it's not laced with pride. And just like the verse said a moment ago, you got nothing else to boast in. You can't boast in, well, look at how many books I read and look at how many seminars I went to and look at how perfect I am. You can't boast in that anymore because it wasn't you. You can't get critical at somebody who doesn't as well. Your, your heart breaks and you just, you, you want to engage them with the gospel and help them see that Jesus can make a difference. They're like, it totally changes the way you interact with people that you're different then. You no longer is your change tainted by pride and arrogance. 
No longer is your change tainted by a superiority complex. No longer is your change tainted by a victim mentality. Why? Because it's Jesus. It's all of Jesus. So, the gospel, it is for the saved, it is for the, it's for salvation, and it is for spiritual maturity. You say, what happens when I don't appropriate his grace by faith? Here's, here's something glorious. He still loves you. What about when I fail as a parent? He still loves you. What about when I fail in my interpersonal relationship? He still loves you. What about when I get all self-righteous and pious and critical and judgmental? And He still loves you. His grace is still available for you. Because His grace is not dependent on your performance. It's still there. And if you've been living unrighteously over the last week or you've been living self-righteously throughout the whole week, right now Jesus says, come, my grace is still sufficient. So let him that glory, glory in him. He's all that we have. Will there, will there maybe be some social consequences to self-righteousness and unrighteousness? Yeah, there will be. But God loves you nonetheless. His grace is still there and his mercy is still available because God cares for you. And that is what makes the gospel so scandalous. It's what makes the gospel so unreal. It is the gospel that we need for change, not more moral behavioral modification, not three quick relevant tips to a happier this or happier that. I I guess there's a place for those things. But really what you need is Jesus to change your heart. That's what you need. Not just another trick to, 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 to enhance your behavior with. You need Jesus. An abiding time with Jesus that allows him to change you from the inside out. Once he changes your values and he changes your motives, he changes your worldview, he changes your identity. Guess what? You're going to find that everything else is place. Because the reason you are self-righteous and the reason you are unrighteous more often than not is because your motives are wrong or your identity is wrong or your values are wrong or your worldview is wrong or your beliefs are wrong. All your behavior stems out of a heart. So if you're doing something wrong, trying to fix the behavior without allowing Jesus to change your heart is futile. Say, God, what part of my heart needs to change? If you're struggling with loving somebody, if you're struggling with, with this disorder, or you're struggling with that thing, say, God, what part of my heart do you need to change? Because that is where it always begins. What needs to change? So, so how exactly does this happen now? Okay, that's the next question. Okay, you, you're starting to explain this thing, Pastor. How, how does the spirit and identity and values and motives and all this, how does that change us from the inside out and really cause lasting change? Come back next week and we're going to start unpacking this thing literally piece by piece by piece. Why? Because I believe if you're like me, there are still some areas in your life that you need to see changed. And Jesus is your hope. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father.